Welcome to episode three of 35th of Waveland, a Chicago baseball podcast. I'm your host, Brian Pulaski. Joining me are my co-hosts, Glennie Barnett and Daniel Irvin. Beautiful week for some baseball men. How are we feeling? Feeling pretty good. We uh, wait to record this select for the Cubs. Got their walk-off win against the Mets. Uh, Jason Hayward rolling over to second, but sometimes it works with the infield in. So, hey, $184 million to roll over second sometimes works. Not an easy at bat, too, against Edwin Diaz. We can't forget Mm-mm. this guy's throwing 99-mile-an-hour t- uh, two-seamers. So. Glenny, how are we doing? Oh, fantastic. Cubs win. Nice little sweep of the Mets. Always uh, is nice. Something nice. I wasn't expecting, but nice to see uh, these bats might, you know, start coming alive. Hopefully, just get this uh, offense started moving along, and hopefully more wins uh, and series wins start to uh, continue to happen here in uh, Chicago. I mean, this isn't yeah. a shabby team. This isn't a shabby team in, in, in the Mets either. I mean, this is no. a team that's oh, not at the, all. the NL East. I wish we had done this against the 2015 Mets in the NLCS instead of getting our, you know, asses Ooh. kicked. But, oh. uh, you, you know. bring it back up. I mean, I kept having flashbacks to Daniel Murphy when Alonzo was putting balls onto, you know, the Night street games. and everything. Vietnam so. flashbacks. <laughs> Vietnam <laughs> flashbacks. Fortunate sons Murphy. playing in the background, everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, was, I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a good team that they, they went and swept. They took care of business. Um, and you know, you, you you didn't have Jock Peterson today and uh, it's a nice win. Um, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk all about it. We're going to break down all kinds of Cubs and White Sox action that just happened in this previous week since the last time we got to talk to you guys but uh let's let's just talk about the record because it seems like that's where we start so the cubs now in the last six games go four and two um and that was pending tonight's victory and now since that's locked up cubs are four and two in their last six there's a big uh a sigh of relief i feel like from the north side right now it feels like you know at least something good has happened because it felt like it was very negative for the first week of the season and there was a lot of things that uh, Cub fans were kind of not getting as far as the offense goes and all the other issues they had uh, early on seemed to have kind of subsided while they're walking away with four wins in, in six games. The White Sox again continue to stay 500 at three and three. Um, it, it was a weird week and we're going to talk more about that but let, let's just stick to the Cubs first. Let's talk a little bit uh, about uh, this team that that's rolling, Dan. Um, what, what's been their success, right, you know, these last six games? What has really been the thing that's put them over the hump as, as far as a, a, bar, a ball club that seems to be playing pretty good baseball? Well, uh, for starters, it's not hitting 134 as a team. That, uh, that's been a big change of pace. And that's been refreshing to see. And we've seen both sides of the offense with, uh, I believe it was Saturday against the Braves where they hit six homers. And then the, yesterday – uh, against the Mets where they just had the seven run inning. It was dink and dunk and just ball and play, see what happens. So, and it's good to finally see that. Cause we know that when this team, you know, when this team is clicking, they're going to have those six homer days. This, this offense does have the firepower behind that, but you don't need to worry about, you don't need to worry about winning when everyone's clicking at their best. You know, if a pitcher's feeling their stuff, a hitter's in a zone, you don't worry about that. You worry about when you don't have your stuff, you know, when Javi's in a slump, Bryant's in a slump, Rizzo's in a slump, how can you scratch and claw and get a run? Is it stealing a base? Is it doing a hit and run? Is it just slapping one the other way? And that's that's what we're starting to see a little bit more of. I think guys are kind of waking up and getting into rhythm a little bit. Something I noticed, Dan, um, the Cubs didn't have to see Jacob DeGrom tonight. Was there a reason behind that? I didn't catch if something was uh, wrong with Jacob DeGrom tonight. Yeah, I think he saw that the Cubs put up 16 the day before and didn't want any piece of that. You know, Jacob deGrom is not that good of a pitcher. Um, I knew that's where it was going to go. Yeah, um, I'm just saying thank God because, I mean, he Jacob deGrom would have completely undressed Javi. I mean, that would not have been fun to see at all. He would have – I mean, he undresses everyone. So, it's – it. you're a little bit upset because you just want to see him pitch because he's so good, but you're just glad it's not against your team. And, Glenny, I think you feel the same way that if you can avoid any DeGrom start, you're kind of, you know, a big exhale. I, I think that was a big win for the Cubs. I mean, as much as I would have loved to see him pitch also, uh, I'd rather see him, you know, play any anybody else but the Cubs. And to see him not have to start against the Cubs, it was a nice sigh of release, fucking sweep of the series, and fucking all seems ahead, boys. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, I mean, now the one thing that I do want to say though is that actually, we you do want the ground to pitch against you because the Mets never score a run when he pitches, so maybe it kind of leads. To that. So what is the deal with that man? What a poor guy! I mean, it's yeah. unbelievable. He just needs one. He just needs yeah. one. <laughs> the guy like almost averages ten strikeouts a game. I mean, he's having appearances in which 
guys don't look like they're they're major leaguers, and you have an offense that it really did did some damage against Cub pitching this this series. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. like the bats were quiet on the other side of the field here, but um, the, the Cubs just did what they needed to do to get ahead, and you know, real good pitching in the back end of the bullpen. And Craig Kimbrell again tonight was brilliant. And uh, seeing Winkler go out there and kind of get the job done, even though it wasn't pretty, mm-hmm. a lot of yeah, right, a lot of exhaling, but you know, it gets the job done. Yeah, Kimbrell is—he's been just on a roll. I don't know what it is or what what he's changed, but he's looking like the Kimbrell that we gave the big contract to back in 2019. That's a, a sigh of relief because when he first came up in 2019 just was terrible 2020 he was a setup guy and he found it towards the end of the year but his end of year numbers didn't look good but over 60 game season as a reliever there's it's tough to recover but he he's just been lights out this year and it's you know if the Cubs are going to have to make a run the fact that they know that hey the ninth inning is locked down that that's just a big again it's a big sigh of relief because that just makes you can tinker then with your bullpen more knowing that who do we find for the sixth seventh eighth when we know we got the ninth locked down and that's something that, you know, the Cubs haven't had for quite a while. You know, I, you know, it's funny to think about how far removed we are from 2016. Even 2017, uh, Wade Davis came in and did a really nice job at the back end of the bullpen. But you look at how far removed we are in 2021 from that just dominant presence at the back end of the bullpen for the Cubs. And they've tried different play, uh, people. And, you know, you had Brandon Morrow for a second there. I know that's God. another nom flashback moment yeah. for you guys. But, Jesus. you know. He was good when his arm was attached. Right. I mean, in, there's there's a lot of positives in some of those players that they had gone and, and tried to make work as puzzle pieces in this bigger picture. But you look at what Craig Kimbrell is able to do now as a guy that had the trajectory to be a Hall of Fame closer and then to go ahead and give you guys a, a good start to this season and give you a really solid April uh, and look kind of like the guy we all expect him to be, it's huge. And he just continues to add on to that resume Every, every time he goes out there, uh, you know, in, in those saves keep racking up. And not only is the guy breaking hi- making history, but he's also going to be able to put you guys in a better spot in the NL Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that I really want to talk about, and I know that you guys have been uh, happy to see this guy kind of come around. I thought it was inevitable, but Chris Bryant is swinging the bat much, much better. Uh, yeah, know. right. And we've all been waiting <laughs> for it, right? Helping the Cubs out, helping my fantasy team out. I mean, it's a win-win. Let's just hope the, the wins just keep racking up on both sides of the spectrum here. But it's great to see him finally start swinging the stick and, you know, hitting for extra base hits. Uh, it's, it's, it's a breath of fresh air because I know I have been very critical of Chris Bryant in the past, especially on if you've ever, you know, listened to Dollar Dog Sunday. Thank you again for coming and uh, you know, uh, coming, joining us here, but I, I was been always very critical of Chris Bryant in the past. And as much as I love him as a player, it's just, it, it's, it's been rough being a Chris Bryant fan as of the last few years with, with mm-hmm. his antics on and off. Yeah. A lot of injuries. Which has been lingering. And then just, I just, he just became so soft as a player to me, but to see him to start break out, I just hope there's nothing. You just keep on climbing that ladder because, you know, I've said it last week, these guys are all playing for their fucking future at this point. And to see him fucking realize that and to see his offense and his bat be where it should be. And that is that rookie of the year MVP seasons and Chris Bryant of old. I mean, I just hope that it continues and he stays healthy. Just give me one full season of Chris Bryant healthy again, and something magical could happen. Hold on one second, Dave. I just wanted to touch on something Glenn uh, Glenn had said, talking about his mentality. And you, uh, I know, have been very critical towards how he is uh, going about his business. Uh, I I know you've called him soft in the past. I know you've had issues with, uh, you know, him not uh, overcoming certain injuries. And obviously, you know, we don't know the severity of all these injuries. I, the shoulder one being probably the most, um, the most um, defying uh, as far as his last few seasons go and in the, you know, the struggles he's had, but you look at his last seven games and he looks like a guy that's playing with a little bit of an edge. Not only is this a, uh, you know, a, a contract year for him, but this guy his mentality has completely changed as far as a ball player goes. I, I see him barking at umpires more, 
when he's not getting a call. I see him going a little fire. You, right. It's good mm-hmm. to finally see that. You you don't see that out of him, and that's some. He should be a leader on this team, and I don't see him stepping up and being a vocal guy like Rizzo. Maybe that's not his mantra. Maybe he just wants to lay in the back. But you're Chris Bryant. You're you're a face of a franchise. You were part of Rizzo for how many years before you know it got broken up, and it's the El Mago show now. You know, and it's right. just like. I mean, I don't know what kind of show. <laughs> we'll cover him later. Show right now, but to, to but, Sam Bryan, you know, it's it. Sorry, go ahead, Mark Bryan. No, no, his last seven games. though, you look at what he's doing: three hundred eight batting average, yeah. four walks, seven RBIs, two home runs, eight hits, and he struck out four times. I mean, that's that's down from where it was. Even even you looked at seven. You looked at a week of Chris Bryant baseball a couple of years ago. Not only were you mm-hmm. not getting the production, but the strikeout numbers were way up. He's starting to get back into that same rhythm and that same frame of mind in which he was not only an MVP but a perennial all-star. He's starting to get back to that, and that's exciting for the Cub fans to see out there. Another thing I do like seeing him is actually he's flashing some leather and playing the field a little bit. I mean, he's at third one night, he's in left one night, he's in right another night. It's good to see him play the field, making some really nice catches out in the outfield too. So it's good to see him, you know, fucking make some plays, not not, not only, you know, at the plate, but in the field, which has not always been his strong suit in the past. Yeah, he's just doing that so he can get an extra 10, 20 million saying, well, I'm also a right fielder. I'm also a left fielder. Don't forget about that, you know, because he is a Boris guy. His, but just seeing him just get back to just first. just the KB. <laughs> <laughs> just seeing him get back to his 2016 self where it's just like he comes up and just like he's coming up to do damage. And in years past, part of it has been his injuries. I mean, I remember in 20 – was it 2018 or 2019 when he had his shoulder injury where it was just like – he could not lift the ball in the air. 2019, I think, was the yeah, big show. Yeah, it was. Thing. Yeah, he just couldn't. And then you're like, well, you're playing hurt, but you're still Chris Bryant. And those, when he was still hurt, he was at least taking his walks. But there just wasn't the, there was none of the power. There was none of the fear at the plate. It was just like, well, we can just kind of pitch around him. And if we make a mistake, he's not going to hurt us. Now it's just like, well, crap, Bryant's being Bryant again. And just, what, he is also just a guy that just has such good professional at-bats, and he's fun to walk. I mean, he's taking 99-mile-an-hour two-seamers that are a quarter-inch off the plate and just taking them like they're nothing. And it's when he gets in that kind of zone, it's just fun to watch. But uh, on the reverse side, I, I think we need to talk a little bit about uh, El Mago and some of the um, absurdities going on there. I'm not sure if you guys saw the stats. That was uh, his projected over 162 the other day, but uh, it was projected with a 200 average, 40 homers, 50 steals, 121 RBIs, and 313 strikeouts. Um, I don't think there's a more El Mago stat than that, but uh, would love to get some of your guys' thoughts on it. Oh, my God. We, I mean, we, we briefly talked about this, obviously, before we started recording, but I, I can't imagine that there's ever been a guy that batted 200 uh, with 140-something. You said 143 RBIs? Uh, 121. I think when we ranged it out, he had, four, he had 40 homers and 140 hits because Javi doesn't walk, so he's getting about 700 abs, you know. And it's just one of those, just like, because there's I mean, times when he's in a zone, it's just like, holy crap, look at this guy. He's in everything. He's in the ball out all over, and you're like, there's the 40 homer guy and the 50 really, stolen I, base guy. It's like, what the hell? And then it's just most, like, yeah. Most of these guys, when you're when you're hitting 40 home runs, though, you're going right. I will, I really challenge anybody out there to show me a season in which a guy batted 200 or below and hit 40 home runs with 120 RBIs. I just don't think that's ever happened in baseball. Not Did that Adam I don't, Dunn do it at all? I, I don't think so. I think he's got to be over 200. I, I think about how low of a batting average that really is. I'm not saying that uh, guys mm-hmm. aren't there right now in April, but when you go through 162 games and you're batting 200 with 40 home runs, something has to be going right to have that kind of power, th- that kind of power, and then produce that kind of ru- run production. 120 mm-hmm. plus runs, whatever it may be. It's like be. a Joey Gallo rookie year. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's yeah. really, it's really <laughs> just, it's hard to do. But I'm saying, like, I think that's such a rare thing. I, you know, and you know those projections. Every projection, just like us talking about uh, preseason picks and things like that. You can predict things based on uh, where you are or, or, or what you've seen so far. 
but those predictions obviously can get blown out of the water real quick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy could heat up and bat 500 this year for all we know. Obviously, that's a little bit out of the, yeah. out Not of the, the rate that he's hobbies, But, but if Javi just gets so frustrating at times because you know he has all the talent in the world. But there's just that bass that seems like he's just like, I'm just swinging at everything. It's like the same thing. Slider low and away off the plate. Slider low and away off the plate. Fastball up and in. It's just like three three pitches, see you later. It's just like there, there's no plan, it seems like. like I, it's also that, you know, you want to be critical of that. He'll be 0 for 3 in a game with three strikeouts. And then it'll get to 0-2 counts. And then someone will hang his slider and hit it 450 off the scoreboard. And you're like, well, you did the same thing every single time, but you happen to get a mistake. So I want to be mad, but you just hit a bomb. And it it just seems like, you know, if he just had a – I don't know what his plan is or his approach, but just – he doesn't have to be Chris Bryant level taking walks. If he could just be anywhere near league average and just some plate discipline. It's just like his numbers would skyrocket because, you know, he's going to – he walks, what, maybe 10 times a year, <laughs> you know? Maybe. Yeah. So it's just it just gets tough to watch him at times because when he slumps, it's just not pretty baseball. It's not like you know he's making weak contact or just seems that he's lost. It's just like he doesn't even look like he's playing baseball. He's just going up there praying to God that he may hit the ball. You know he's he's a guy that gets frustrating to watch, like you said during the slump. But he's one of those guys that you talk about being one swing away. He mm-hmm. he's just a streaky guy, man. You get to that good swing, you get to that long ball, whatever it may be a shot in the gap and he's back to, you know, being a 300 hitter. And that's the kind of guy he's always been. And I think it's a guy he's probably going to continue to be throughout the rest of his career. Now the, the in-betweens, the long pauses, the slumps as we call them, right. That needs to get shrunk down and you can deal with, you know, having a few bad games when he comes back and goes three for four with a couple bombs. So that's what I hope that he starts to accomplish. Uh, is a little more consistency at the plate because defensively, the guy's a wizard. There's no question about it. There's no 100%. issues with him playing on the left side of the infield. So you just need him to be more consistent at the plate. And it seems like he's having uh, a better, a better approach as of late. Uh, although the, the Edwin Diaz slider that he saw in the ninth here in just this recent game that we were just watching, uh, I mean, it's just a poor at bat, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, he's not a guy that's going to shorten up, but you got to wonder mm-hmm. if, if maybe that's the answer. If you want more consistency and you want guys on base, I mean, he's going to have to shorten up and go to right field. Right. I mean, at some point, yeah. when he gets going, right. When he starts putting balls out to right center and right field, that's when Javi's going at his best. Cause that actually tells me that he's actually seeing the ball, you know, all of a sudden you'll see him lay off some sliders low and away and the fastball up. And that means like, he's actually seen the ball when he's at his worst. That's when he just, it's just like the textbook is him, throw him off the plate away and then throw him heat up and in. And it's just like, he's just going to swing at everything. And as long as you don't make a mistake, he won't hit a home run. Cause then you leave something middle, middle, it's still hobby and he'll put it out. But that's where he goes through these stretches. It's just like, you know, he's two for his last 20 with two homers and that that's it. And it's, there's like 10 K's in there and it's just not pretty baseball. But yeah. you always can count on the glove. You're always going to count on him to, when he does get on bases, swipe some bags. And he's still El Mago, so it's just – but, yeah, the two strikes, he needs to talk to Rizzo about shortening up or something because he he takes the same swing if he's got a 3-0 green light as he does if it's an 0-2 against Max Scherzer. It's the same swing day in and, that's, and day And that's out. all mental. That's all mental. Yeah. That, that's, that's just choosing to be that guy, which you're 100% right. But that's where I'm hoping that you get – Bryant and Rizzo and these guys who are veteran type guys in that clubhouse as well as on the field, they got. I mean, at one point or another, you, if you're friends with these people or if you build relationships and you're all on contract years trying to produce the best baseball you can, I think it only helps your ball club to have a conversation with him and talk to him about that and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, man, we got a runner on third base and you're trying to drive a ball out of the park with one out. We need you to hit something to the right side." We need a ground ball to the right side so we can score a run here. You know, they're, they weren't losing games by much either. Even the last couple of years, I mean, we talk about the back end of the bullpen having struggles in the last couple of years too. You weren't losing games by 10. You were losing games by two and three. So every mm-hmm. run counts early on in these games. I think that's something that they have to have a conversation with him about. Yeah. And I, if he's really the guy that we, we pres, you know, presume him, assume him to be, I think he's a guy that'll take that kind of criticism and, and run with it and actually become a better baseball player and a better hitter at the plate in a big, you know, in a big situation like that. Yeah. I think it's been a wake up for him also, just the fact that he's hitting sixth or seventh in the order now. 
you know, and when he was going good, he was boom, three, four hitter, put him in there. He's just going to drive in everybody. I think David Ross is basically telling him just like, I'm not putting you at three or four because we got guys that are going to get on base and hit better than you. And until you change something, you know, if you're he, David Ross will probably be like, Hey, Javi, if you're going right, I'll push in that four spot. No questions asked. And you'll get all the RBI opportunities you can. But until you do that, and we're going to go right, left, right, left. And, you know, try and get some matchups with, you know, relief pitchers and end of the game or whatever it is. But I don't know. You, you also got it. It's still early in the season. If he can get his timing right or make an adjustment or do whatever, make some changes, maybe because he also goes, well, if I hit 200 this year, I'm probably not getting a $200 million contract. So maybe he'll wake up a little bit more then. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, it's tough to beat up on a guy who's, who's lay a perennial all-star type, but you know, that mm-hmm. that's what makes, you know, you expect all these great things from him. You need him to step up in those big situations and, you know, he's, he's done it at times this year, but you want more consistency, and I think that's the name of the game for him. Um, the, the other guy I want to talk about with the Cubs, guys, I, I don't know, me being a, a diehard Sox fan, I can't help but love fucking Andrew Chafin. I mean, he is every bit <laughs> of, like, what I wanted. I want somebody like that at the back end of my bullpen. Like, if I could Andrew trade Chafin somebody Chafin and your Don Alvarez need to be the faces of Chicago baseball. They are just – you got your Don Alvarez – or you're, why did I say you're Don Alvarez? Sorry, uh, you're in Mercedes. I was sorry, I was looking at some Astro <laughs> stuff earlier. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, folks. I, I was looking at some Astro stuff just before this. Um, so my apologies. But you're in Mercedes, and uh, Andrew Chafin. Just the they, you just look at them and you're just like, those are just two average dudes, and they just happen to be Major League Baseball players. You know, we were Most talking earlier on the podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were we were talking earlier uh, before this about how like if you were to put. Chafin, Mercedes, and Aaron Donald next to each other, you would be like, okay, all three of these people are professional athletes. And people would say, well, I get the one guy, but these other two know they're just fucking beer league softballers. <laughs> Andrew Chafin, though, like, like, I don't know what it is. Like, obviously, he's got his cult following because the antics and stuff like that. The, mm-hmm. guy, the guy is a good pitcher. I mean, the guy's oh, got yeah. good stuff out of the back of the ball. On the yeah, I mean, he's a gamer, man. It's I mean, he's not – He's not going to, you know, blow anything by anybody like Chapman style. But, I mean, he's a guy that he's got sneaky good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then he walks out there with the fro and the, the big stash. And, you know, he's a farm boy, but he also – his big truck doesn't drive through the city and he's got to get a beater. Like, everything about this guy <laughs> – I mean, this has got to be a dream for anybody writing a story about him, right? I mean, this is – I mean, he when, gets, when, when he goes in to check in to Wrigley for a game and like they're doing all like, you know, show your passes and COVID tests are like, oh, what are you, the gender? Oh, no, I'm the setup man on the Chicago Cubs. Like he just looks he just looks like a regular blue collar dude that just happens to be humming it from the left side. And I love that. I'm with you 100 percent. I'm with you 100 percent. The sheriff and the urinator take over a Chicago baseball. I'm a big <laughs> fan of that. Two characters. I'm bored. No well, if the superstars are having a down year, it's nice to have some fun guys. You know, once once everyone picks up their pace and you got guys putting in all-star bids or putting up close to MVP numbers, then it's just like, okay, well, these guys are cool, but let's focus on who's going crazy. You know what I mean? Well, we're, so we're approaching the end of, of April here. If you had to go ahead and choose representatives from this Cubs team to be an all-star in July, I mean, who, who, who are your picks? I mean, this is, it's early, I know, but I love yeah, doing this all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who's, your, who's your all-star picks? Yes. Just from- uh, probably think Bryant, Kimbrough. Kimbrough and Bryant, I think would be the two. And, I mean, and nobody I can from the starting rotation? I, no, uh, it's, I don't, no one really has that early. good numbers. If anybody, it would be Arietta, but there's nothing too much there, I don't think. Yeah. I, I could I could make an argument for Chafin for sure. I mean, I, I think other oh, one bad outing so far this year. I mean, other awesome. I think Kimbrough's a lock. Mm-hmm. A lock. I mean, Bryant continues to do what he's doing. He's going to be yeah. a, a possibly Contreras for catcher because he does have some good numbers. But you're also yeah. and catchers is one where you know you got JT Real Muto on Philly, but then catchers also a weird one at times because there's been like in, I think it was a couple years ago in 2019 or 18 for the AL where it was just like. No one was doing anything, and Gary Sanchez ended up starting because he had like 15 homers at the break, but he was hitting like yeah. 210, and there was yeah. no one. So, um, yeah, I go Brian and yeah. Brian and Kimbrel, and then maybe Contreras just because of catching. But other than that, I'm not really seeing a whole lot of other options. Maybe maybe Arietta, but he just doesn't have the flashy strikeout numbers that a lot of guys do, and that's what probably would 
hurt him because when you got guys like Scherzer and Walker Bueller and uh, Trevor Bauer and pretty much anyone on the Dodgers rotation, I start to think about it. Just guys that are more flair and strikeouts and Darvish and all that. It's just kind of tough to be like, well, we'll put on area. Yeah, DeGrom. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I, I probably picked those two. Those are probably the only two I'd pick as well. I think Rizzo's a guy um, that – you know, he's want to see him in the game. He's mm-hmm. been on he's been on base a lot. You know, like he's he's yeah. on base a lot, but he's not driving runs in, which we expect him to be the guy that that goes ahead and and, and hits about you know eighty or a hundred in somewhere in between, maybe more. Never know what kind of year he's going to have, but um, you know I don't worry about that as much. The other guy who I thought was uh, an interesting um, candidate is is Baez. I mean, we we're just talking about it, but. Uh, before tonight, the guy had 16 RBIs. Now I know he's batting whatever low 200s and uh, what has he got? Five home runs before tonight. I don't know uh, if he hit yeah. one tonight. Five home runs. I mean, you get him to be a little more consistent. He's he's you know he's your, maybe your starter in the National League. I mean, that's how good he can be. And we've seen and he'll get the fan vote for sure. So yeah, I mean. That's that's where I you know I just like to I like to play around with that sometimes in my head I, I do that a lot I'm like oh well who who's relevant right now who would be the guys that go for the All Star team and for the White Sox which we're gonna we're gonna jump into a little bit of White Sox baseball in a second here but when you look at that team there's there's some guys that would kind of surprise you that you'd be like yeah you know maybe he's an All Star this year um, obviously very early but um, Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the White Sox and what's going well for them. Uh, going three and three in the last six, um, it finally looks like the offense is coming around. Um, mm-hmm. Which this is a team that you know it, it was given a lot of uh, encouragement as far as uh, people choosing them to be a representative in the American League uh, Championship Series as a preseason pick. Uh, some winning, some losing. But still, there's a lot of respect for the offense around this team. And, and early on, we just didn't see that production out of some of those bigger names that we need to see productions out of to be, you know, to be competitors. So the big key uh, this week, uh, as far as just what had happened and, and, and how, why things went right for me, it's the presence of Tim Anderson back in the lineup. So coming back from the IL, he bats 379 with two home runs, 11 hits, and two RBIs, accompanied by two stolen bases. I mean, he is every bit as elite as a, a leadoff hitter can be in the league. Um, not only does he, you know, he, he gets you ahead one nothing sometimes with one swing of the bat early on in the game, but if he's not, uh, you know, if he's not uh, driving a ball out of the park, he's on base and he's stealing bases now mm-hmm. uh, consistently because Tony likes to run these guys which is yeah. a big positive, I think, uh, as a, you know, an overview to this team so far. Uh, Tim Anderson is the big key, though. And, you know, you see what he does both as a spark plug for the offense and as a guy in the clubhouse and in, even in the dugout. He just makes the game fun. He brings a different kind of energy to the ballpark every day. And, and for whatever reason, our team is a much better team when this guy is in the lineup or even accompanying – everybody else inside that dugout. Um, the other guy that's kind of stepping up uh, quietly raking is Luis Robert. Last seven games, batting 444, 12 hits, two RBIs and two stolen bases. Another guy that is a guy who, as soon as he's on base, should be a base-stealing threat. Guy's a fucking freak. Um, he's starting to take better approaches to play. Dan, I don't know if you watched uh, any of the Red Sox series the other day. Um, but even on Patriots Day when they had that early game, he was uh, facing uh, Nathan Ivaldi, And Ivaldi's got that nasty breaking ball. And, yeah, and 100. Uh, <laughs> a plus fastball, right? So you look at him and you think this is going to be a bad matchup for Luis. At least historically speaking, mm-hmm. uh, Luis shouldn't be a guy, you know, that, that hits him too well. And, I, you know, you can see the at-bats getting better. And what I mean by that is instead of taking – a hack oo no matter where the pitch is, and usually the scouting report has taught them to throw a slider away uh, just out of the zone, and 99% of the time the guy's swinging. He's starting to look at those pitches, and he's starting to actually go the other, other way with fastballs and breaking balls to right center field. And when he starts going right to right center field, 
you can see that he's going to be a, an everyday perennial uh, three for four guy or a two for three guy. He's starting to show up, which is, is huge for this team to get that kind of production in that part of the lineup. And then the last uh, real big positive as far as guys heating up, I, I want to talk a little bit uh, about Nick Madrigal, who gets the worst rep out of any of these guys, and I don't fucking understand it. I know he's he one of my favorite him. players on the Sox, just because he's at all. He's just Absolutely. a scrappy guy. He's the small second baseman, but just like you cannot strike him out. I don't know if it's maybe because I played D three baseball that every coach just says slap it and put it in player and don't strike out if that's that inner part of me. But it's just he's just such a tough out, and it's just like he drives pitchers insane because it's just like they throw a pitch at his head, he fouls it off. They throw one an inch above the dirt, he fouls it off, and then he just slaps a single to right or does what he does. It's just his, his hand eye and, you know, bat to ball is just unreal. And I, you know, he's always, you know, he's the guy that talk about like, Oh, if you gave Javi his contact or something like that, it's just like, what would that player be like? You know, if you get some of these big, strong dudes, like what if you gave, you know, Yuan Moncada his contact ability, just what they would be able to do. And it's, but no, I love him. He's just, he's just the small scrappy guy that everyone just loves. I mean, so so Benetti last year uh, when he first came up was calling him Nicky Two Strikes. And it's funny that they were calling him that because he was so productive with two strikes. They actually did an analysis to see where he, he – it's a young career. But two mm-hmm. strike hitting, the guy is in the same conversation as guys like Tony Gwynn. That's fucking ridiculous. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that he's able to do that other guys just in the league just aren't able to do when they're down the count like that. In his last seven games, Madrigal's batting 333, four RBIs, eight hits, and three runs. Um, the four RBIs is the big uh, thing, the big stat that pops off the page to me. I don't see him as a guy that's going to drive in 70, 80 runs, but he's a guy that is starting to hit with uh, a little bit of a clutch factor. He's got guys on base when he's having these big at-bats and these big hits. That's huge for us right now, and it's definitely picked up the slack with the rest of this offense that was kind of down – between uh, Nick Madrigal, Yerman Mercedes, and Tim Anderson really stepping up in the last uh, week, we've been able to see Abreu struggle and, and, and uh, Yasmani Grandal struggle and still be able to win ball games. Uh, but that was the one last positive I really wanted to talk about. Was Where Jose does Tony Abreu. have um, Madrigal hitting the lineup? Where does he usually hit? Usually the nine spot, eight spot usually possibly. Nine. But, we, yeah. but I got well, to talk about this though. Jose Abreu yeah. had that giant night in Cleveland. And that was finally the night we've been waiting for. Uh, Jose gets out there, hits two home runs, one that traveled 458 feet, goes three for four, two home runs, and an RBI single. And uh, one of the things that I found to be um, – I was happy to see it was Larusa uh, was, was quoted uh, this. Um, he's such a popular person and player that when he does good, everybody in the dugout knows how important it is to him. And they get happy. There's a lot of happiness because of this big fellow. Now, hearing Larusa, a guy that's seen a lot of these great players go ahead and you know grow into these you know Hall of Fame caliber players, and I'm not enshrining Jose today. I think that his resume is starting to build up to, to as the point where we have to start having those kind of conversations once his career's over. But because this guy is who he is, and because he produces, that team gets up, just like Tim gets these guys off, you know, the, the schneid. He gets them up and, and gets them ready to, to play games. And to see him kind of break out finally after having a lot of uh, frustrating at-bats early on this season uh, was huge. Jose Abreu is the key to this team this year. Mark my words, I think a lot of uh, – and I know it's a lot of pressure on the guy, but I think how Abreu performs this year is, is kind of how this team's going to perform this year. Yerman Mercedes picked up a lot of slack early on. But if you don't have Jose batting in that four spot and driving runs in, you're not going to win nearly as many games as you did uh, having him in that heart of the lineup doing what he did. Um, it was just – it was a really nice thing to see. And the ball that he hit in Cleveland I think is still fucking rolling somewhere. It was a bomb. Um, getting to my negatives, which I wanted to keep the positives first and then kind of tear this team down a little bit at the end. Yeah, always end on a sour note. Uh, I, you know, most people don't do that, but I just felt like I had to get those off my chest before I, I got into a little bit of negatives. More, We're not, a pessimistic no, I podcast. <laughs> definitely. I wouldn't, I, <laughs> you know how that goes. But um, 
I didn't want to, I won't say it's tearing him down. It's more of just, um, it's more of seeing what's kind of happened and, and, and could cause problems down the, the line here. Um, you see Lance Lynn's placed on a 10-day DL for a right trap soreness. He got bailed out from uh, unexpected snow out in Cleveland. Uh, hopefully that missed start, he doesn't even miss anymore. Um, but that that kind of scares me. And the reason that kind of scares me is this is a guy that doesn't want to get pulled out of a ball game ever. He wants to pitch nine innings every time he goes out there. But if he's not built to do it, which I know he has been in the past, but if he's not built to do it, I think Tony has to have a conversation with him and say, you know, if, if you are feeling a certain type of way, we can't ride you in April and May. We need you in August and September. And God forbid you get into October, you need those nine innings then. So I think somebody has to have that conversation with him early on. That way he's not blowing himself up before we get to a, a playoff push. Um, but he's, you know, he's likely to, to, to miss the one start, which hopefully that, you know, passes over due to the, uh, the, the uh, snow out. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, maybe we get bailed out from that, but that's something I could see as a possible uh, uh, issue down the line. Uh, and then something that I don't expect to kind of be a reoccurring issue, but we got to talk about it a little bit, is uh, Giolito's uh, really rough outing in Boston. He got in a lot of trouble early, um, and the changeup just wasn't dancing nearly as much. The ball was tunneling, but it seemed like Boston, and I made the joke to myself, I'm like, maybe they're just cheating again. Maybe they're getting uh, – pitches sent into him or whatever but I knew that wasn't the case but it seemed like they were sitting on the changeup and, and just hitting the hell out of the fastball which he was down maybe a tick or two uh, as far as as far as velocity goes but usually it's by design but you know the guy has a 46 inning or 46 pitch first inning eight hits seven earned runs and two walks in an inning of work um, it's just a really poor start and that it was one of the worst starts I've seen since like his 2017 campaign or 20 was it 2018 campaign. Uh, 2018 is when he was the worst pitcher in baseball. 2018, the 2018 campaign. Well, you can tell I really, I really try to keep it in the back of my brain because I'm trying to move past <laughs> these things, but yeah. uh, you know, I love Gio. He's a, he's a great, he's a great pitcher and he's the ace of the staff. And it's something that I don't expect uh, to see happen again. I expect to bounce back on a regular, uh, on a regular day, uh, because it wasn't a regular start, uh, because in Boston on Patriots day, uh, they play the game at 10 AM or, or so. And, uh, at the end of the game, the Boston Red Sox fans actually go out of the stadium and wait for the end of the Boston marathon. It's supposed to be a two for one kind of deal when you go to the mm-hmm. ballpark on Patriots day. And that's why they kind of wore those fucking horrendous jerseys. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, those I know it was the marathon and everything. Maybe we can chalk that up that it's just like a bad juju day. Like you're like it's a day like you can't win, you know, so to speak. It's like a, I think there were like times fans. when Lester when like Lester well, would host hold on. like the Hold on. <laughs> what was that, Glenny? Hot take. I would have rocked one of those hats. Oh fuck off. Come on. Uh, I I'd I'd rock one of those. You give me a little uh, Xander Bogart's t shirt jersey. Oh yeah, I'd rock the fuck out of that. I just you rock that. Look, He's the guy with the kid. Somehow someone slept with him with that fashion sense. I mean, like, <laughs> I have zero I mean, fashion like, sense. I like what's comfortable, and it's they, usually a t-shirt, jersey, and his shorts with a backwards hat. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying these these jerseys happen yeah, to be pretty fucking ugly. Um, but no, no, no. But I get the the whole idea behind them, and I think uh, Nike is going to do this uh, for a few teams. I know the White Sox and the Cubs are both getting. If they do a Chicago style uniform, that thing will sell out in minutes. Chicago flag. Do they run that anything with the Chicago flag is amazing. If they They're do called, it subtle, uh, like if they have the pinstripes like light blue and then like the logo be kind of like the flag with the stars, I feel like that'll be good. If they try and go too overboard with it, then it'll kind of be ruined. You know what I mean? Like if it's subtle Chicago are, flag, oh yeah, it'll be good. I, but if I think uh, I th- they're called City Connect jerseys, but. Um, it reminds me a lot of what the NBA is doing uh, once a year with their, their city edition jerseys. Now, I don't know if you guys caught and, and looked at what the Bulls were wearing this year, but I thought those were really mm-hmm. slim. Mm-hmm. They're not bad at all. Not bad at all. Right. So I thought if they go – and you talk about subtle, Dan. I think that if the White Sox get to wear something that's maybe a little more subtle and gives off that – like the Bulls are wearing kind of like a great Gatsby, wow, Gatsby vibe 
type of uniform. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's got like that gold yeah. well, that's Art Deco Shane, looking the, thing. You can put the yeah. skyline on the jersey. I think that'd look cool. Maybe there's a probably smaller thing. They're probably out like there if you right take, now. If you take the pinstripes and just make those light blue, I think that might be like a better thing. But I'm just thinking if they go like full blown like light blue jersey with like red sleeves or all that, and it's just like doing the whole Chicago flag. I'm just thinking like that just it, it'd be like too much, you know. A subtleness would be good, but you know it's Nike, so they'll probably find a way to fuck it up, but still sell out a bunch of them. Yeah, they will. No matter what, I mean that's a reality. You put that logo on it. There's people that are going to buy it, but, um, but yeah, those those Red Sox jerseys looking like the UCLA Bruins or some shit. They they were ugly. Mm-hmm. I didn't I did not like them. But um, no. But my point what? I was going to make with Geo, the point that I want to make with Geo is that it's tough to win on that day. You know, it's Marathon Day or Patriots Day, and it's all that going on and everything. And we know all. And it's just like you just can't like you just can't win on that day. You know, it's like uh, I remember there were stories of like Lester pitching when they did like the Anthony Rizzo charity thing. It's like, you know, OK, Lester's pitching Saturday. Friday night is the Rizzo charity. It's just like and Lester gave like fifty thousand dollars to the Rizzo Cancer Foundation. It's just like, oh, the next day. Yeah, he's going seven shutout with 10 Ks. Like you just have all the good juju going like there's just nights. It's just like. It's not going to happen. Or, you know, you hear the stories of like, oh, well, they saw a kid in the hospital and he said it was going to hit a homer. That guy hits a homer. It's just like sometimes just I think the weird the world works weird in that sense. And like having to pitch on Patriots Day in Boston just for the visiting team is just screwed. Yeah, no, I definitely I just wish it would have been a little bit of a better effort. But mm-hmm. uh, in light of, of Gio's uh, rough start. I am going to talk about – I lied. I am going to talk about one positive uh, thing that happened in the Boston series. Other than uh, – there, there were a couple of nice wins in that series. I shouldn't say that all of it was bad. But, um, but Kopech had his first start since 2018, and it's a little bit of a tease to, for what's to come. And it was nice to see a guy who has been so dominant in the back end of the bullpen for us come in on a spot start against his old team do what he did three innings pitch uh one hit one earned run one walk four k's i mean the guy was solid all the way around he looked like he belonged in that in that starting rotation um and and quite frankly i, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in that uh rotation by the end of the year it's just something that i think is going to be by circumstance and and really by uh by committee i think they're gonna have to i think cats and Larusa, as well as all the other coaches there, and and trainers, and whoever else is in on uh, uh, Michael Kopech's arm, including Rick Hahn, you're gonna have to have that conversation whether it's it's the right time to go ahead and ride this guy out. Uh, with Does he a have an innings limit this year at all? Does he have an innings limit like the stress during like cut off at 180 in 2012? If you kind of remember that. Oh God, I I'm don't know. Him. I don't know by experience, or I, excuse me, by experience. I don't know because I haven't read anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would assume that they have a pitch count in mind every time he goes out there. I don't know if there's an inning limit. Um, the yeah. good thing is he did have a year off with the 2020 season being, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, he sat out. So it might be something that they have to kind of limit but maybe not as, as strict i'm not sure i i'd have to know more about I, cause it. i haven't heard anything about him having an inning limit but i know they're trying to keep him in the bullpen to start and then as he ramps up i think you know probably like mid-season you know maybe that's when they're just letting him go full bore head so maybe that could be it but it was just something i was curious on because we all know you know what happened in 2012 with steven strass where they said no more innings after this point and they ended up getting the ring but you know they always say like how many times is going to come around and the fact that they that 2012 Nationals team could have been incredible, but it's like, well, we just lost our best starter. So, and, you know, at least you guys have, like, guys like, you know, Giolito and Keichel and Lynn, you know, when he comes back healthy. But knowing that you got also – if Kopech is your four and he's supposed to be Michael Kopech, not fun. <laughs> no, he's he's really in, – and in what I was worried about was removing him from the bullpen and giving him that start, the first one since 2018, it gave me kind of a – a slight worry that it wouldn't transition or being out there, he would be pressing too hard to be a guy that was trying to throw a hundred miles an hour again, which that's what he was. When he first broke in the league, I was there at the debut. He pressed way too hard early and ended up having, you know, all these arm issues. And I, I was worried that he would get inside his head and try to go, uh, you know, all gas, no brakes a little too quick. Instead, 
um, you know, the guy had a lively fastball at 98 miles an hour and outstanding bite on the slider, uh, a nice mix. And was, uh, he had the great ability to mix speeds, which I wish some of these guys would take a look at him. I laugh. Uh, Dylan Cease is one of the most frustrating uh, guys to watch on the mound because he can strike out everybody and anybody in the league, but chooses to kind of play around with guys. If you go after guys, you see what guys like Lance Lynn and Dallas Keuchel and Michael Kopech, all these guys are able to accomplish. And of course, Geo on a normal day. I'm hoping that kind of rubs off on some of these younger pitchers that are kind of trying to nip at corners. Going after guys is, is working right now. It's early enough in the season. Get yourself some confidence, throw some balls in the zone, and good things are going to happen. So overall, the White Sox team thus far in April, uh, as many people will disagree with me, they will say it's disappointing. I don't think it was a disappointing um, month so far. I think this team's got a lot to build on, and I think that walking away – uh, 500 thus far, uh, and, and hopefully, uh, finally getting over that hump tomorrow. Um, that that's the goal, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm just hoping that uh, this team continues to build. And it was nice to see Kopech get his first start in uh, a couple of years after the Tommy being removed from Tommy John surgery. And we're we're gonna see what this team's all all about uh, in the coming months. And you know, it's it's a it's an early early good start. I would say that's, that's where my head's at so far. Um, but now let's, let's get into the last segment of the, of the podcast here, which is going to be a fun one for all you guys out there. So uh, in our group chat uh, where we put all our topics in, I was kind of brainstorming on things that I thought would be fun to do. And I threw this one at the guys and I, I, I asked them, you know, if you could combine every great player on both sides of town and the history of the White Sox and the Cubs, and you could build a lineup, like who would you have in there? Well, anyway, we, we talked about this for quite a while and decided just to make it a segment on the show because it's such a – I think it's a polarizing, well, also fun category to talk about, or a category of thought. Um, we, we, we are going to build a team, a full nine guys in the lineup, including a DH, and we're going to get uh, – or excuse me, eight guys in a DH, two starting pitchers and a relief pitcher. So each guy will have a, a person playing left, center, right, third, short, second, first, catcher, DH, two starting pitchers, one relief pitcher. Uh, and then we also get a manager. So that should be interesting too. Um, Dan, why don't you start us off and talk about who you picked and, and why you picked these guys. And then what kind of – I know it's funny to say this, but what kind of identity, what kind of uh, things do you think your team is able to accomplish with the personnel you have on the field? Uh, so catching, I have Carlton Fisk, and I think we almost all had him just because there's there's been a weird history of Cubs and Sox catchers where there's been guys that have been good for a short period of time but not sustained, you know, Contreras hasn't been there long enough. And if anyone remembers back in 2008, uh, Giovanni Soto came up. We're like, holy crap, this guy's <laughs> rookie of the year. year. And, and, and that 2018 was just when you, I think that's one that we look back on. It's just like, like everything went absolutely perfect that year. And then we choked in the playoffs and then everyone went like regress to the mean. But like Giovanni Soto, like he had one good year. If, it, if we could pick individual years, it'd be different. But since we're going more so longevity, I mean, Carlton Fisk, Hall of Famer. Then for first base, I went Frank Thomas. I mean, there's, I don't think we really need to talk more about that. I mean, it's Frank fucking Thomas. Well, I think we all had him <laughs> at first base. I, I think that's yeah. a consensus for I, catcher and first base for everybody. One yeah. of the best players in the had, 90s, let alone oh, yeah. the game's history, you know, right-handed hitters. Yeah. And then uh, second base, I had Ryan Sandberg. Um, did anyone else have that? or I did. I had Rhino. Yeah, us Cubs fans, we stick together. But I mean, oh, other yeah. Hall of Famer. I didn't um, want to be too biased, but <laughs> I, I I got some I got some Sox players in there. But yeah, so far so yeah. we have the same exact uh, infield. <laughs> yeah, third base I had Ron Santo. You know, another I was debating going with Brian on this just because, but again, it's not the same longevity. Kind of. Yeah, it's. I I picked my guys more on like how long they were there, except for one guy. But um, it was mostly just the fact that they were there for so long, not just there just like for a quick cup of tea, so to speak. So maybe that makes a difference. Again, like I said, if we could pick individual years, I'd probably go 2016, Chris Bryant. Um, and then shortstop, I picked Ernie Banks because 
I picked Ernie Banks because I wanted to put him at first, but then when I looked at more of his baseball references, he had plenty of shortstops. So that's just my little way of sneaking him in there. I mean, it's Ernie fucking Banks. <laughs> yeah, he was a short. So, he was a shortstop forever. He was. A yeah, short, and yeah. Then, yeah, and then switched Brandon to over to first. Yeah, so you know, I mean, it's like I said, it's it's some of these guys. It's almost just like, well, how do you not have them, so to speak? Uh, then the outfield goes uh, Billy Williams, Andre Dawson, and Sammy Sosa to left, center, right. I mean, a lot of power. If I, That's yeah, I mean, give me 98 Sammy Sosa when he was roided out of his mind. I mean, I don't know if there was a better hitter at that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's the only guy with multiple 60 homer seasons. I mean, he's a Cub legend. I mean, when you think Sammy Sosa, how do you not think about him just running out to after 9-11? Uh, running out to right field when he's got the American flag and then he hits the homer and has the flag and doing, I mean, show me a kid that in the 2000 that did that played wiffle ball in the backyard and did the Sammy hop and everything. It was just, I mean, he's just such an icon. It's just ridiculous. And then uh, DH, I had Jim Tomei just, I mean, over 600 career home runs. And I have, I like him just personally because I know he's, I'm a big hunter. He's a big hunter. I mean, Find me something that anyone has said negative about Jim Tomei other than it's a pitcher hard. that allowed a 480-foot bomb to him. That's about it. No one has played against him. They're like, oh, yeah, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, he just, he's, he just he's, he's, be like a big bear. I met him. He did a 480-foot home run and guy. then just take out the dinner. <laughs> what did you say, Glenn? What did you say? He, he, he's a big teddy bear. I, I met him at the airport years back and he just you walk up to him you shake your hand he'll take a picture with you he'll have a two-minute conversation yeah. with him he's one mm-hmm. of genuinely just a great great guy and he's oh, yeah. huge he's yeah. a big man that's a great pick dan who are your starters and who's your reliever uh so my two starters i got uh greg maddox and fergie jenkins uh obviously you know yeah it's uh i mean greg maddox he's so much fun to watch and they his um absurd pitching stats are always you know cool and it's just like the number i it's something crazy that like 77 times in his career that he went 3-0 or something like that and it was just like of the in maybe it was in a season i can't remember what it was but like almost all but like six were just i think it was in a season he went 77 times he went 3-0 and all but six of them were intentional walks you know Guys today are now throwing four walks, but in four innings pitch, and just the command he had, and it was never overpowering. Just I'm just gonna slice and dice you. He, you know, like the you know Kyle Hendricks today, Maddox. The comparisons are nonstop, but he's just so much fun to watch. He's just like I'm just gonna spot everyone up and just slice and dice you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And everyone was just like, well, fuck. And the Maddox outings of nine innings under 100 pitches, get it, everyone out of there in two hours. You know, that's what he was known for. So who's managing this squad, Dan? Um, oh, I forgot to mention my relief pitcher was the one that um, oh, yes. longevity guy, and that was uh, Aroldis Chapman. Um, but I would like a caveat <laughs> to that. And my caveat to that would be if I can get Carlos Marmol when he throws a strike. Because <laughs> every Coast fan knows he's unhittable. Marmol but that motherfucker, that motherfucker threw so many sliders off that green screen behind home plate that rolls with the ads. He threw so many goddamn sliders off that thing. It, I, it was stupid. That was the first thing they did when they renovated Wrigley was they took out all the marble dented ads behind. All right, that so so run, run us through run us through your lineup one more time and uh, just just yep. roll off the names real quick. Yep. So I got Carlton Fisk catching Frank Thomas at first, uh, Ryan Sandberg at second, uh, Ron Santo at third, Ernie Banks at short, Billy Williams in left, Andre Dawson in center, Sammy Sosa in right, Jim Tomei DHing. Uh, my two starting pitchers are Greg Max and Fergie Jenkins. Uh, Rolf Chapman is my relief pitcher and all managed by Joe Ben. Wow. Hell of a ball club. Hell of a ball yeah, club. Glenn, I think Glenn, they win a couple games. I think yours couple, is going to be three. similar. I think yours is going to be We're, similar. Yeah, ours is very, very similar, actually. Um, but I, I, I want to hear yours, man. I have, uh, I have Carlton Fisk uh, behind the plate, Frank Thomas at first. Uh, Ryan Sandberg, Rhino at second, Mr. Cub, uh, Ernie Banks at shortstop, Ron Sano at fucking third base, Billy Williams at left field, Andre Dawson, Hawk fucking center field. My right fielder was different, and uh, it was Maglio Ordonez. I, I love it. Field. I love it. Uh, I, I, was, I was always – I loved me some Maglio when I was a kid. Maglio uh, a goddamn gamer. Still playing today, still raking. I mean, he's like – 
fifty years old. I feel like he's been around forever. But I where love is him he at? Is he in some like Dominican league or Mexican he's still league? Still in Detroit, or... ain't he? No, he's been the trade years. <laughs> you know what, though, it wouldn't be surprised they were hiding him. Honestly, they could it's do better. Probably guys playing now at forty-six years old or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's cheaper. He's cheaper than some of the guys. It's like, well, we fucking. I bet suck he can anyway. still fucking hit the ball. <laughs> but uh, Mag's, Mag's out of the league for quite a while now. I was joking. Uh, I think it's a Cindy. Not have Sandy Sosa. In there. I feel like so, all these old guys. You know, just throw them in Detroit. They they got to be. They got a bunch of young kids, older guys. Miguel Cabrera. Oh, good old Miggy. Miggy's Poor guy's blowing up and eat himself over his, his career. Um, what's what's but, your uh, uh, starting pitching look like? Oh, I had uh, my DH was uh, the great oh. Sammy Sosa. Oh, okay. Sosa DH um, is a nice pick. I like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Uh, my two starters are uh, Fergie, and then I went with uh, the great Mark Burley. And uh, just love that just burly presence, great pitcher. I mean, fantastic. I being a Cubs fan, you know, you got to appreciate a guy like Mark Burley, and not only did it, uh, you know, on the bound with, you know, with his arm, but the absurd plays that he'd make coming off the rubber. <laughs> I mean, it just I just remember web jabs left and right, just Mark Burley flipping Always. balls through his fucking legs. I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, and then oh yeah, and then I'm closing the game out with the fucking great Lee Smith. I mean, come, talk Smith, about a, a closer in any kind of game. One of the greats, uh, Lee Smith. So that uh, manage. If if I could take my perfect matchup of Lou Pinella and J- the funness of Joe Madden, but not the coaching style of Joe Madden, I would do that. But I'm gonna ultimately go with uh, my boy Luke Pinella. He might have his little blowups here and there, but boy had some heart. He loved the game. Great coach, Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer. Uh, that is uh, I think that my I prototypical think... kind of manager. You need that fire. You you can't sit there and oh, for sure. you know baby. Lou Pinella had days that he just picked out that he was like, I'm getting ejected today. It, oh. it, he just had him picked out. He's like the <laughs> smallest thing. Chuck you know? it down the line. Oh, yeah. God. Like I would swing through a pitch, strike three, you know, completely swinging. And he'd be like, what the fuck kind of call is just, he just wanted to pick a fight. I don't know. I think he probably picked him on Sundays, like travel days where he's like, I just want to get to the airport early and have a Sabaro pizza. I don't know if that's what he wanted to do, but $12 for one. <laughs> I like, I like your pick Glenn. I like, I like Sosa in the DH spot. And I, I'm embarrassed that I don't have Mark Burley in my starting pitching. Um, I love Burley. Oh yeah. Quick, quickest games ever too, man. Guy got on the mound and just threw fucking fastest games you've ever been to. That's why there was always so many highlight plays behind him because there were so many plays and guys were ready. There's so many times I feel like with guys nowadays that's just strikeout, walk, strikeout, walk, that your defense is just lulled to sleep oh, when you so. know that Burley pitching. It's just like, okay, we're going to get something here because he's just, he's just a guy that just, I want to get three pitches or less to every guy because then I can throw seven, eight, nine innings. And that's why he was such a consistent 200-inning guy because – you know, nowadays guys are getting 110 pitches in five innings, whereas he was 110 pitches, eight innings. And it was just like, well, if it doesn't matter if I get a strike or they ground out the shortstop and out and out. And if I can do it in two pitches instead of six, I can have a longer career. Very fast, very fast. Um, <laughs> I would uh, I would like to uh, wrap up the segment with, with my team, if you guys don't mind. I, I, I was battling myself in a few of these positions, and I told myself I just need to go with my gut on a couple of these guys, including the first one. Um, this is a guy in left field uh, who not only should be in the Hall of Fame, uh, both being Roberto Clemente's uh, uh, fucking hero and uh, a guy that was carrying uh, some of the best White Sox teams in the in the late 50s. Uh, I have Minnie Minoso playing left. Um, I also have Andre Dawson in center, Glenny. So we both had the same. Dan, who'd you have in center? You didn't have Andre Dawson. I, I, had, I had Andre Dawson. We all had Andre Dawson. We had Andre Dawson. The Hawk, man, he, it's really tough to beat anybody out there. Um, quick guy, obviously could swing it. We know that. Um, just Almost like Kenny Lofton. You're prototypical. With all the power that I had in my team, I want that, that leadoff guy. But, you know, Little stint in Chicago lasted about a year. So I mean, Kenny Lofton could, in, in Chicago. I love Kenny Lofton. Oh, other than Ichiro, Kenny Lofton is my prototypical leadoff guy. It, that, leadoff that's guy, a guy yeah. I want leading every single time, Manning center field, and probably going to hit four hundred. You know? Yeah, he he yeah he had his his small little stint in a White Sox uniform, but 
Uh, still one of my, one of my favorite teams. They had a lot of just weird names from like two thousand two thousand two to two thousand four. There was a lot of weird guys coming in the organization. You wouldn't you wouldn't remember them being White Sox, but Ray, Ray uh, Durham. Ray, no, no Ray Durham. Ray Durham's uh, one of those guys I would remember. But you got guys like um, Roberto Alomar. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't put, peg him in a White Sox uniform. There's a couple of guys like that. David Wells is another one. Oh, Talk few. about a guy that doesn't look like he's an athlete. Oh boy! All right, let me. So I got Minoso in left. I got Dawson in center, and then in right field, I'm taking one of the few eight men out. Uh, I'm taking Shoeless Joe Jackson, one of the most uh, purest uh, hitters in American baseball history. Um, just one of the best. Uh, I have Ron Sano at third base. Uh, I have Banks at shortstop, similar to you two. Uh, very hard-pressed uh, between Banks and Aparicio. Ernie Banks obviously being the superior player, but my complete homer fandom uh, getting in the way of that one. Uh, at second base, though, I, I, I truly – I thought about this. Sandberg is like a slam dunk, right? That's the one that comes to mind when you think of great all-time great second baseman. Um, but I had to go and I had to look back at, at Nellie Fox's stats. And being an MVP award winner – um, being a guy that was a, I believe a nine time all-star, um, he, he was just outstanding. Uh, he was a, fi- excuse me, 15 time all-star, uh, three, t- uh, three gold gloves and, and found his way into the hall of fame. Uh, I had to throw a little, a little, uh, Nelly Fox over at second base. I have Frank Thomas at first base, uh, Carlton Fisk behind the plate. And then my DH position was the most strange pick for me, but I just felt like, we were talking about great. I know that we all interpreted it as guys who made it to the hall, guys who were all-time greats in the uniform, guys that they, they've retired their numbers. I couldn't think – I was very – I wanted to go with Jim Tomey. I did, but I just – I wanted the greatest athlete of all time on my team, so I went with Bo Jackson. I'm putting Bo Jackson in my DH position. I think he's going to be able to go ahead and drive a few out of the park while also scaling center field walls when we finally put him in, you know, in the lineup and let him go play some defense. But nonetheless, he was a guy that had to be a part of this team. So I had Bo Jackson with the DH position. And then my starting pitching, um, I picked uh, Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, uh, the late great Tom Seaver. I got his 300th win in a White Sox uniform. Uh, One of the all-time great pitchers, a guy that not only possessed pinpoint control, but a plus fastball and just, with a no pun intended, terrific stuff. Uh, he was a dominant right-hander, and to match my dominant right-hander, I needed a dominant left-hander, so I went with Chris Sale. Chris Sale might arguably be the greatest left-handed pitcher that ever graced the White Sox organization. Sorry, Mark Burley. He's one of those guys that has those kind of off-the-charts kind of stats, and it's a fucking crime the guy didn't win a Cy Young Award while he was on the South Side. I still think that there's a couple of those years that those sabermetric guys should be fucking ashamed of themselves, and they should take a look at what actually happened. Uh, and then, I think it was tough for him to win those just because it's also like the White Sox weren't good, so he wasn't they were in awful. Light. They were awful. No wins, those, but I'm no saying, wins, though, no you, take a look, you take yeah. a look at some of, those, and, uh, some of the whip numbers, some of the ERAs, uh, some of the uh, – uh, it's just amazing. Some of the walk to K ratios. I mean, it was unbelievable. Did he ever, did he ever hit 300Ks with the Sox or did he come close? I can't remember if he did or didn't. Let's see. Chris. Sam. I thought. Thank I you. Baseball. Reference. He, yeah. Uh, also speaking yes, of baseball 300, reference. Uh, 300Ks. On the, the, sorry, go ahead. That, that was on the White Sox or when he was on the Red Sox? Oh, no, you're right. He was a Red Sox by that point with 308 Ks. He actually hit 274, which is a White Sox record in 2015. Mm. But, yeah, he so, was cut up a jersey and boom, out. the franchise just sends you away. Yeah. Well, you end up getting uh, Michael Kopech and Yohan Moncada. So, I mean, yeah. I can't And he ended up getting $150 million. <laughs> So yeah. Got a nice deal out of it. No, and then uh, to, to close it all out, um, I had quite a few um, – Players that I thought about, Goose Gossage, Hoyt Wilhelm. Um, I, thought, I thought about Lee Arthur Smith. I thought even about – I even uh, – Arola Chapman crossed my mind. Um, but I – and even Kerry Wood at, at, at a point kind of crossed my mind as a possible option for a relief pitcher for this team. But um, I couldn't go with anybody else but uh, my, my man, uh, Big Bad Bobby Jenks, to close it all out from my squad. Um, 
an all-star for two years and, and just a guy that was a, a gigantic factor in winning your 05 World Series, a guy that just got out at the end of the game. There's a special breed that's able to do so, and Bobby, uh, he, he just completes his team. And it's all managed by uh, none other than uh, Ozzie Guillen. Uh, they may not understand him the entire time, but, you know, he's a damn good strategy guy and playing small ball with this squad may work. I got a lot of speed on, on the base pass. Uh, and then we got those, you know, those spark plugs uh, early on that kind of set the table for these big bats like Frank Thomas and Ernie Banks and God forbid Andre Dawson gets up with the bases loaded. You know how that's going to go. So I think my team uh, was, was, was pretty well-rounded. I think everybody's teams were pretty fucking well-rounded. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a lot of fun. We were all pretty similar in a lot of aspects. And it, it's it's funny when you look through, like, these two historic franchises, and it depends just like, all right, well, there's, like, this guy's the best and this guy's the best. And it's not – but also when you have teams that had – well, the White Sox have 88-year World Series drought. The Cubs had 108-year World Series drought. When you have those droughts, there's not a lot of sometimes good players in between. You know, maybe right. a flash in the pan here or there. You know, it's not like when you're the – Yankees ever win in titles in all the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's just you can pick from any number of people, whereas the Sox and Cubs is just like, well, there's a one guy good in this decade, and there's one guy good in that decade, and that leads to uh, long title droughts. It was it was kind of cool, though, because I feel like all of us didn't go one way or the other. You mm-hmm. know, I, I was I was afraid when I picked it. I, I know that we're all pretty uh, well-rounded baseball people, so we, we know um, – that you can't go with a whole homer team and, and not only win the votes of, of the people listening to this, but you also just can't expect to win a lot of games with just strictly those teams. It would be fun though, to actually build a couple of teams with just the players from their organizations. But I think we would have a lot less mm-hmm. uh, guys who were enshrined in Cooperstown on the team. So it's cool that we got to kind of pick and choose from both sides of town. Uh, and there were some guys that kind of hurt not being able to put them in there, but you know, We'll, yeah, we'll and if to, we could have put some obscure guys that are maybe there for a year, like oh, a couple guys that came to my, I would say like Ken Griffey Jr. or Manny Ramirez when they were on the Sox. But if you could Jose get them in their primes, Canseco in a White Sox Canseco. uniform, yeah. Rogers, <laughs> yeah. like like when you think about like they were there for a short time and they weren't that it wasn't their prime, but just like if you say like I have Ken Griffey Jr. and you just say like oh well if you're talking you know '90s Griffey, Ron you know, Santo on the all-time White Sox team. One year in a White Sox uniform, his last. Yeah. Year. I mean, it would be it would be fun, you know. We we we've got a lot of ideas here, but uh, we finally made it through episode three, boys. Mm-hmm. Episode three was a banger. Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening to the show. Follow us at Thirty Fifth to Waveland on Twitter and Instagram. We will constantly be posting things on both platforms to make sure that you guys get your experience, your baseball fix, your Chicago baseball fix, exciting things. Ahead this next couple weeks here, we're going to have to brainstorm some more of these segments because I think these are are going over well. But uh, thank you guys again for listening. Get up, get after it, and I'll see you next week.